We are ready to hear your word, your truth. And you promised us, Jesus, that the spirit of truth will lead us and guide us into all the truth. And as we open our hearts, we ask you that you will touch us, every part of our beings, with your truth, because it is the only thing that will transform us. Because the world needs us as your church to be like Jesus. Touch us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's all go to the book of Haggai. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Haggai. That's a joke. (laughs) Can I have the scripture? There you go. All right. I forgot to to tell you what translation, but it doesn't matter. I've got, there are many translations of the Bible. There's NIV. I call NIV non-inspired version. And then the uh, ESV, the elect standard version. So, uh, yeah, I'm on ESV here. (laughs) Extremely safe version. All right, let's uh, go to Haggai chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way to verse 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came to the, by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house? In its former glory. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. I want to read just this last, those last few sentences. Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Silver is mine and gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And listen to this, in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. 
as I read those last few sentences, you, co- you could almost sense that the prophetic voice of God right, right for this moment, as if I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, this word is the, the word for the season now. So my point is, if you need a title, this sermon is, let's build what is unshakable. Let's do that. Let's build what is unshakable. A few weeks, or a few days, probably last week, <laughs> I was reading an article, so I happened, I happened to just read it, written by somebody which is not that important, but and as one of the, the, uh, the writing that, that caught my attention is, is this statement made. It says, that five months after Morrison announced Australian were at the forefront of the queue for vaccination, he said, however, our rollout is presently ranked 104th in the world, sandwiched between Lebanon and Bangladesh, based on the latest seven-day average vaccination rate. So on that fact, the writer made a comment, and he said, this is a national disgrace. (laughs) Now, I'm not trying to make a political statement right now. What I'm trying to point out is, is I'm just trying to highlight the uncertainty of the time that we're living in now. Even our federal government could not guarantee what they set out to do. Things are unpredictable. They cannot fulfill what they promised because they just can't. I don't know, for whatever reason or another. And so my thing is, yeah, things are kind of shaky. And as I read, studied my Bible on this whole thing, you know, it's interesting that verse that, that, that we just read, uh, read the verses, Quoted by, uh, that was in, in the Old Testament by, by uh, the prophet Haggai. But that same verse quoted by a writer of the book of Hebrew in Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26 and 27. He quoted Haggai's statement where it says, Yet once more I will shake only, not only the earth but also the heavens. He then interpreted that statement to his readers And saying this, he said, this statement yet once more indicates that the purpose of the removal of things that are shaken is so that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So in other words, God allows things to be shaken just to highlight what it is that is unshakable. So what is it? My, th- my thing is, okay, if that is the case, everything is shaky, and there are things that God would cause to be uns- unshakable, then I think as his people, it makes sense that we are to be mindful and be preoccupied with what is unshakable, not the shakable things. Amen? Can I hear an amen on that? So last week, the reason I, I, uh, I used this scripture because I listened to Calvin's sermon last week. He talked about the house, house of God, reading from Haggai chapter 1. 
So I got stirred up and I studied the whole thing. And uh, so just want to recap some of the points that, that uh, was highlighted. And uh, in Haggai chapter 1, the story was people, because of Israel, have seen they went into captivity, Babylonian captivity. After 70 years, they came back to the promised land. And back to the promised land, the house of God was, was destroyed and by, by, by uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the, the emperor of uh, Babylon. And so they wanted to, you know, there was a time where they were to build the house of God. But the people's attitude was apathetic. And their, 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 their heart was, oh, it's not time to build the house of God because we're too busy, we're too preoccupied, we're building our own lives. And, and then God's, and the result of their, their, their attitude, God said, listen, you plant, but you don't reap enough. And you, know, you, you make money, but as you walk away, you know, it's like you got holes in your pocket, you know. And you wear clothes, but you remain, you remain, you remain cold, you know, you're not warm enough. And there's only one, one reason in that is because you, you're too busy, as God's people, you're too busy, preoccupied with your own thing, building your own house. You're living in a panel house while the house of God lies in ruin. That's the message of the book of Haggai. All right? The attitude. It's not time to build the house of God. Now, I want to draw our attention to that sort of apathetic attitude to the story of David concerning the house of God in 2 Samuel chapter 7. All right? Let's read 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm going to read verse 1. It says here, Now when the king, King David, in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, and the king said to Nathan, the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So he was troubled by that. Like, I'm living in this comfortable house, and the ark of God, the ark of the covenant, is in a tent. So the prophet said in verse 3, Go and do all that is in your heart, the Lord that is with you. And when that happened, the Bible says that that night, God visited the prophet Nathan. And God said, I want you to go and, 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 and give this message to David. And the word of the Lord pretty much, God says, listen, David, from the time you guys came from Egypt, I've never asked anyone to build me a house. Neither you nor anybody. I've never asked that from anyone. However, because that is in your heart, I'm telling you, I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to build your house. That's what God said. Not only that, your throne will be established forever. Wow. And I read that and I thought, David hadn't done anything yet. It was just a burden in his heart. He hasn't done anything yet. It was just like, what am I doing here? Being comfortable about the house of God is, God has no house. God said, and as a matter of fact, when you read 
the whole chronicles and, 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 and uh, the story of the building of the house concerning the house of God. God said, listen, heaven is my throne, the, uh, the earth is my footstool, I don't need a house. But the burden for the house of God is so strong in David, before he even did anything, God said, because that's in your heart, that is your preoccupation, I'm going to do something for you. Powerful. So let's go back to this passage. The good thing is, when you, when you read uh, uh, Haggai chapter 1, people got their act together, they repented, and they uh, started building the house of the Lord. And then the word of God came toward them towards the end of the building process. This is our passage here. Now our passage has three, has three parts. What has been concerning the house of God, what is now to what's coming in the future. Okay? So verse, what has been, let's read verse 1. Let's uh, unpack this, this passage. In the, seventh month, or in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, so near the completion of the, the temple, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? He's talking about Solomon's temple before it was destroyed. How do you see it now? Your house, that you're, the house of God that you're building now, how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Now, I want to just give a small description, okay? Solomon is a very rich king. He built this magnificent temple. Just one aspect of the temple, the inner sanctuary that Solomon built is 10 meters long, 10 meters wide, and 10 meters high. Now, you can you imagine how big that, just inner sanctuary, not the temple, just the inner sanctuary, 10 meter long, 10 meter wide, and 10 meter high. And listen to this, the whole inner sanctuary was, was uh, covered, like you know, it was uh, overlaid with pure gold. And all the instruments in there, the, the, the uh, altars, the everything else, all the ornaments, they're all solid, pure gold. That's why God said to, to the guys who built the second temple, anyone here when Solomon built a temple, can you see that this is nothing compared to that? As a matter of fact, if you read the book of Ezra, from a different sort of angle of story, it says that when the people saw the, the, the temple that they rebuilt, they compared to what happened in Solomon's temple, they wept because it's nothing like Solomon's temple. Then God's response to that, okay, it might be nothing to you now. But let me say this, let's read verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, he said. Go to work. And listen to this. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt. 
and my spirit remains in your midst. In other words, what God is saying, I'm with you, it's not because of all those gold stuff. I'm with you now because we had a covenant. Come on, guys. It's got nothing to do with what you can do for me. Because I made a covenant with you guys. So God said, go to work. <laughs> Get the job done. Get on with the job. I mean, it's interesting how sometimes, even when we build our church, if only we have the good microphone, the good keyboard, or the good whatever technology, maybe something's going to happen. God said, listen. The reason I'm, I'm going to be in this house is because the covenant I made with you, with the blood of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus. If the blood of Jesus is not enough, no house is good enough. And we make it so complicated. And that's why, you know, I'm sorry, guys. It is, Diane always said that, I'm going to repeat it again. It is, in a way, in many ways, our fault, our generation's fault. We make the house of God anything but the presence of God and the transformation of, of the people of God. We make it about the, oh, about the organization, the institution, and all kinds of things but the people of God. I remember someone once said, I think I've said it before, but I like this statement. The contemporary churches are so busy, so focused on building leaders instead of disciples, we end up with many leaders who are never disciples. And yet that's the very thing that Jesus asked us to do. Go into all the world, make leaders? No. Go into all the world, make disciples. And for the sake for for the sake of this house, God said in the following verses, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Not only that, I will shake nations. Yeah. And God said, I will do the shaking so that, so what? In the scripture it says, so the treasures of all Nations shall come in. Actually, the true translation should be so that the desire of all nations will be seen or what the nations desire will be seen in the house of God. Now, you got to understand, when, the, when you talk about the, the building of, of Solomon's temple, when he built his temple, he went to uh, this king called King Haram, in uh, in uh, Second Chronicles chapter two, so he he went to uh, King Haram, who is the king of Tyre, because they they've got because Solomon needed like you know cedar, like wood and timbers, like cedar from Lebanon and you know, all those things. So he wrote a letter to to the king. He said, "I want to build a temple for God. Can I buy this stuff from you?" And listen to to the king. This is a Gentile king. His response to the request of, of Solomon in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Then Haram, the king of Tyre, answered in a letter that, 
that he sent to Solomon. Because the Lord loves his people. This is Gentile. Okay? Because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king, made you king over them. And then also he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who made heaven and earth. This is a Gentile king. All of a sudden, Gentiles start praising God. In other words, they saw something exciting in the house of God. God is doing something. It's going to stir them up. The desires of the nation will be seen in the house of God. It's crazy. Even Gentiles king, when God starts to act, they'll get excited. So God, then verse 8, it says here, after saying, you know, I'm going to shake the nations and, and all shake the heaven and the nation, all that. And then this is what he's going to do. He said, the silver, of my, the silver is, is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. But that's not what's going to make the house of God. Pretty much that's the, the implication. Because God has a priority. Verse 9, listen to this. Because the latter glory of this house, even it doesn't look like anything compared to the first house, but this is my plan. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. That is the desire of the nations. Not the gold, not the silver. They want to, because this is the cry, you know, like, peace. You know, like, the world is crying for peace. But God said, they're going to see it in the house of God if you build it correctly. That's what they are looking for. Because it's the glory of God that validates the house of God. And as for this temple, well, it's not as luxurious as the majestic Solomon temple. My glory will be even greater in this house. Yeah. And I want to just talk about it because God said in this house. Well, it's not that house. Even though it says this house. Because that house that, that was built then, it was built in 537 BC and lasted only for 500 years. And then after, after that, in the time, just before the time of Jesus, Herod built another temple in 19 BC, which was destroyed in 70 AD. Okay? And that destruction of that temple was predicted by Jesus in Luke chapter 21, verse 5, where Jesus said, when they walked into the temple, Jesus walked with the disciples, and the disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, look how magnificent the temple. And apparently, the temple that was built by Herod, apparently even more, even more powerful, more glorious, more luxurious than, than Solomon, apparently. Now, that's arguable, but it doesn't matter. But they looked at the temple, like, wow, look at the temple, how magnificent it is. And Jesus said, the day will come where not one stone will rest on another. In other words, Jesus was talking about completely flat-out destruction of the temple, as amazing as the temple was. 
and that happened in the 70 AD. So total destruction. That was like Jesus speaking to the disciples. This temple will be destroyed where not one stone, one brick will rest on another. So completely flat. Now Peter, after experiencing the new era of the Holy Spirit, wrote concerning this new temple in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. He said, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Verse 5. You, you and me, yourselves, like living stones are being built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, as if Peter was saying, it's like the destroyed temple, as magnificent as it was, it was completely destroyed. All the scattered stones of that temple that was destroyed now has been replaced by you and I, the living stones coming together to Jesus. A new temple. No more dead bricks, but living stones. Living bricks like you and I. And I believe with that in mind, in the light of that scripture, reading back to Haggai, he said, it is in this house, this house, the the latter glory of this house, us, will be greater than the Solomon Temple. And it is in this house that I will give peace. Where the desire of the nations will come to this house. What house? You and I. Yeah. See, the Solomon Temple, he made made it so... Majestic that it became the attraction of the world. People from Queen of Sheba came just to see it. Every people from all over the world would come and see because it was majestic. It was the attraction. But now that you and I are the bricks, the living stones, guess who's the attraction? You can, be, you can be a banker. You can be a state agent. You can be a tax accountant. You can be a factory worker. Your task is to be the attraction for the world. That's it. Our function is, it's not when they come here and look at the buildings. like that's the, No, no, that's not what it's talking about. The world needs to see you as like, something don't make sense, but I like what I'm seeing. And I think we've missed it. We built something, whatever we've been trying to build, but this is why, you know, Dad talked about DMS this morning. I thought, that's it, Lord, that's it. Because those bricks, okay, they need to be shaped to fit into the building, right? 
And the shaping of, of the, those bricks, is that's what discipleship is. To become like living stones. To become like Jesus, the living stone, capital S. So, as you come to him, uh, the, the living stone, you like living stones, plural. So, our purpose is to disciple you so you become like him so to the point that you fit into the building project. That's what's going to last forever. Where, see, this is the thing where I preached this a few, few months ago. We're trying to make the gospel relative. So we're trying to package it in whatever we can. But the reality, Paul said, the gospel is an offense to the Jews and foolishness is nonsense to the Gentiles. So in Paul's time, from either side of the culture, it doesn't make sense. So how can we make the gospel relevant? It's you and I as we embody the message. We're the one that's going to make our lives, our life, Christ-like lifestyle. That's going to make it relevant to the world. They don't understand the message, but they said, I don't understand what you're on about, but I like what I'm seeing. I pray, like God, it is hard building the church, but it's worth it. I'm not talking about organization. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not good with organization. I can't even spell organization. <laughs> I, <laughs> but I said, Lord, it's worth, uh, it's worth my life with everything I put into the, the people of God. Whatever it is, Lord, whatever it's going to cost, die and out. That's our daily pray. Because we have failed, our generation have failed many times. They, they, you, you might call America as a Christian nation, but let me say this. I think they produce more Hollywood crap than evangelistic uh, effort throughout the world. The world is fed by America's Hollywood stuff more than any, any, any church can, can produce. And even some of the churches are very whatever. Anyway, don't get me there. No, no, I'm talking about contemporary churches. So what is our responsibility? I think one of the things is DMS, Discipleship Mini School. DMS is not Diane Manusama School. It's Discipleship Ministry School. <laughs> the aim of discipleship is this, to make you like Jesus. It really is that simple. I like the, our vision statement. In, in, uh, I'm, I'm going to recite this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. Just write this down. If you don't, think, don't remember anything, I need, I need you to remember this. Colossians 1, verse 28 to 29. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And listen to this, verse 29. To this end, I strenuously contend. Whoa! This is, that's Paul's heart. To this end, 
I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So if you want to know the heart of Nebuchadnezzar, that's it. And let me say this. That's your responsibility too. As you go out from this place, it's not what's happening here, it's what's happening out there. Like, look around you. What do we do here? Let's, let's start with this. Hebrews 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So here's the thing. When we talk to, yeah, obviously, we socialize, we go to, after this, we go to dumpling place somewhere, you know, whatever. Have fun. But in our effort, like, you know, how can I empower the person next to me? How can I do that? Just inspire, empower. And our job, Diana, Calvin, and, and other leaders here, our job is to, to disciple, empower, and release. And empower them. Let us consider how to stir up, or another translation, to provoke one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but in encouraging one another all the more as you see the day is drawing near. Can I have the measles, please? God said it is about the glory of God. It's not about the gold, silver, or gold. He said, no, that's, it's none of that. All that will come, but our focus is about his glory. Let's all stand up. Let's all stand up.